Up next is a conversation with Andy Grace, Vice President of Acquisitions and Head Cheerleader at Devolver Digital Films, a film distributor in San Francisco. Thanks for being on the show with us, Andy. It's great to be here. Thank you. Oh, great. We're going to delve into the world of film distribution and ask the question, what if a filmmaker spoke with a distributor before a film was produced? or at least well into that process. What might they learn? Could any money be saved, or could there be some funds used in a way that would make the film easier to distribute or more successful? What do you think about that, Andy? I think that that's where the magic is. Right now, I I wish that I had the opportunity to talk to so many filmmakers before they ever started making their movie, um, just because from top to bottom, really, thinking about who your audience is going to be and where you're going to find them is more important now than ever with so many different channels and so many different ways to find film. Uh, it's it's incredibly hard for indies and micro-indies to figure out where their audiences are. And if you don't think about who those people are and how they watch movies before you ever start shooting and start building an audience at the very beginning, you're just, you're, you're not going to, you're going to labor in obscurity. So I, I think it's it's one of the most important things that a filmmaker can do. Well, good. I mean, I was thinking the same thing, too, having been quite the follower of video on demand and films in general all my life. And, um, well, so, you know, as a filmmaker, we find ourselves rather singly focused on how the story moves you emotionally or singly focused on something anyway, but rarely on how it plays in distribution, which is your point. And digital making is... I don't know, it couldn't be any more highly competitive now, especially given the fact that fundamentally, really, hardware and software has just dropped dramatically in price all the way across the digital work uh, process, workflow process. And, um, you know, there's, there's got to be, you know, sort of the question is, what's the secret to making a film that people, what really moves people emotionally, for instance, that's interesting in, in distribution beyond just special effects or you know, whatever it is that you do. I think in the end, it comes down collaboration. It's not that, and that's part of my point as, as a colorist really is all too often I'm brought a film at the last saying, okay, do your magic. And, and it occurred to me, that's probably similar to what happens to you. It's all done, buttoned up in a nice package. And they say, hey, Andy, do your magic. You've probably even heard that phrase. I, I certainly, you get you get people who come to you thinking that that even if they have done not a thing to develop their audience up to that point, that you're going to be able to help them find huge success if you love their movie enough uh, and if they just make the right choices and negotiate the contract the right way. Um, and too often, you know, I'm receiving a package that may not be, even with explicit instructions, may not be up to snuff as far as deliverables and tech, technical specs uh, and requires a lot of back and forth on that front. But also, uh, it, it's in some cases impossible for me to place your film on the platforms that you want to be in if you have zero dem- demonstrable audience already. If you've never done a festival, if you've got no Facebook page, if nobody can point to any link anywhere that shows your film has existed until now, <laughs> I don't care how good it is. There's not, I'm not going to get it on iTunes for you um, and, and, and not be able to give it the full release uh, that that it really wants, That's no matter how much noise I make on social media. You know, it's really very similar uh, in the book business these days. I mean, unless, exactly. you're, unless you're a high flyer, they're like, well, interesting book, but do you have an audience? Do you have a mailing list? 
you know, who's, yep. who's following you. Well, okay. Well, then and, – and, and so I, I think there's some answers though. That's a problem. But part of the issue, of course, is bringing the best of creativity um, forward from everyone in this process of, of creating a production, including the distributor. So um, getting back to you, let's just talk uh, maybe in a broad sense. What is Devolver Digital Film and what makes you unique and why are you located in San Francisco? Well, I happen to be living in the Bay Area, but the company is actually based there in Austin with you. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So Devolver Digital um, started out, my, my partners have been in the video game space for many, many years. Mm. And in 2011, founded Devolver Digital to distribute independent game content. Um, and that was going like gangbusters. They're really making a name for themselves, um, and they're a bunch of great guys. But my partner, Mike, um, who's a partner in Devolver Digital, is also a filmmaker. He and I met um, 12 years ago or so when he was making, gosh, it's been even longer than that now. <laughs> he was making a movie about Burning Man where I worked. Um, and his experience is getting that film distributed. And I worked a lot with other filmmakers who had made movies about Burning Man. I had friends who made films. I took sabbaticals to make movies of my own. Mm -hmm. Um, and our experience is trying to distribute independent film versus Mike's experience with distributing in indie game content and how ripe the audiences are out there for indie games and indie developers are kind of the rock stars of the video game world. Yeah. Uh, and it's just so much friendlier and works so much better better in concert with current technology, whereas trying to get his movie out was, you know, you give all your rights to some company for five, ten years, <laughs> and they say they're going to do a few things with it, and they promise you a certain amount of money, oh, yeah. and then in a year, the film is on one platform, you can't get them to answer the phone, <laughs> and they, they, you say, well, what about this or that, and they say, oh, we don't work with that anyway, can I have my rights back? Well, no. No. Uh, you know, and, and it's just, it's night and day. So in, 2000, in 2013 at South by Southwest, we announced that we'd be starting a, a a film distribution label as well, trying to bring some of that sensibility over from the video game world and from the tools that they use, different sales tools, um, to to promote super indie content. Um, so we launched at South by in, in 2013, and we've been putting out indie films ever since. I think what sets us apart um, in a very, some would even say crowded field, um, is that we're, we're kind of operating at a boutique level. We pick up just a few films at a time, and we really try to partner with them as if they were our own movie. Um, so that means not just putting it out on all the channels and expecting you to do all the work of promotions, but picking up the, the stick and running with you for that second win that a lot of filmmakers need once they've finished yeah. and they've done the festival circuit. Definitely. And everybody's heard about their 15th <laughs> premiere for the 9,000th time. <laughs> Uh, and they need a second win and, and, and a boost to a bigger audience, to a, to a broader audience than they'd be able to, to reach on their own. And one of the ways that we do that is really kind of bonding our filmmakers together on the label and saying, you're all here to support each other. Huh. So, And especially the more films we've added, the more critical mass we've gotten. And that's the thing I'm proudest of there is that yeah. all our filmmakers talk about each other's movies and review each other's films. And we have them doing cross interviews and other things to really elevate their work with each other and their artistry uh, as part of the story. That's really smart. That's really smart. You know, my, my wife and I were talking um, over the last two, three years, we've noticed on the Grammys and, um, and, and other shows that are, that are music-oriented in particular, and to some degree the films, is there's a lot more cross-fertilization going on across, uh, across artists, it yeah. seems like. I'm not really sure what initially started that. It certainly wasn't that way five or ten years ago. 
It was like, hey, this is me. This is my art. Forget you. Yeah. You know, and now it's like this guy plays with this guy. Paul, this one plays with Paul McCartney. You know, right. I mean, it's a weird pairing. And, and it really, it's cool. It's really neat to see. And, and in our case, when you're talking about um, a whole bunch of different projects with little audiences of theirs that they've built. Well, the one thing those audiences have in common is that they've clearly demonstrated they like an indie film. (laughs) So they might like another indie film. And, you know, all boats rise with the tide. Smart, smart, smart. I like that a lot. Well, so um, let's see. All right, so we've already kind of touched on the fact that uh, maybe we go into it a little bit further. Some of the pitfalls that filmmakers uh, find themselves into. I think the one you were mentioning there, in summary, was that as you're building your film, build your build your audience, essentially. Is that the essence of that? It is. Uh, sometimes I think as artists, it is hard to think like a marketer, and we tend to spit that yeah, out. Right. Uh, we don't want to be told that we have to make um, anything that has, you know, broad appeal or has to to suit the taste of the audience <laughs> so it's a, it's a it's a tightrope to walk to 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 not feel like you're just becoming a marketer when you're making your movie and just making what's going to be popular yeah but you do have to examine the current market and and think about where are films like this being watched uh how big can a story really be is my romantic comedy with two people in it that nobody's ever heard of can I realistically expect that it's going to just be a festival darling and it's going to get picked up by Lionsgate? I mean, there's that uh, storytelling is, is an art and not everybody who makes a movie is necessarily a great storyteller, but some of these movies at this level really do have some amazing artistry in that regard. But um, I don't think that alone is enough. So maybe if you have a story that doesn't have a niche I don't want to call it a gimmick, but a niche audience or, you know, it's not a genre. It's not an easily defined group of people who are going to watch it. Right. Well, maybe you have to push the bar a little harder to get a name cast member mm-hmm. or, or find mm-hmm. somebody else to attach to the project to really mm-hmm. kind of elevate it to the people who are going to pay attention to this level because attention is a tough, tough, tough game right now. Right. I mean, there are people have so much content flying at their eyes all day long. You have to figure out some way to stand out. True. Well, so then how does a filmmaker have a clue what's a good topic these days? Is this the kind of thing where it makes sense to possibly have a conversation with you before they've even finished the script, for instance? Possibly. I mean, our uh, on the on the in contrast to how we work on the game side, we do a little bit more um, production on the game side, working yeah. with the crews for right. earlier in the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just haven't been resourced yet to do that on the film side, even sure. though we have great connections and we love that part of the process. We yeah. love making movies. We're filmmakers. That's why we do Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Uh, but um, it just hasn't been possible for us to do so far. However, on the side, I consult sometimes with film projects and have had Plenty of people just come up before they've even, you know, written an outline um, and say, what are, the, what are the things I need to think about before I make this movie? Mm-hmm. And I've had several conversations where I just said, well, on the back end, here's what it's going to look like if you take the movie that you're talking to me about Excellent. right now and try to put it out. Excellent. You might go back to the drawing board with this. And I've had a few experiences of people saying, I didn't realize that this is not the movie I need to make. I need to make this movie instead. Or... 
you know, um, I didn't, I never thought about who my audience even was. Uh, and especially in documentary, that's incredibly important, but across all genres, it's just a huge, important first question. It's like the first three questions you should be asking yourself as a filmmaker. Who is my audience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least as a distributor, you could also provide some feedback. It would seem it's like, look, it sounds like a great idea, but we've just distributed five of them just very similar to that topic area. Maybe yep. maybe we could have a conversation and find your another a- angle for you on this, but know that there's some others that are already on top of that. Exactly. Know? Tough exactly. to hear. Probably tough to hear that. It so. is. It's sometimes not the first thing they want to hear, when, they, especially when they're already – you know, pretty far into the process. (laughs) It's a heartbreaker. But better than three years down the line when you're still waiting for your first revenue check to roll in. Well, again, I mean, the parallel for that for me as a colorist is when they bring the film done, edited, locked. And uh, obviously, I'm not going to critique the story, but they've locked in the way they've shot it at that point. And in the same way that digital films have now a proliferation of of ways in which they can be distributed. There's also a proliferation of the ways in which films can be captured digitally. And we've been in transition with that with filmmakers. And there are a lot of excellent filmmakers out there. But there's a lot of – this is a little more the indie market, not the big higher-end things. But on the indie market, you got a lot of people buying their first camera. And not their first camera, but their first one where they're shooting raw or log encoded um, files. And – and they're not exposing them properly. And so, you know, that's a bit of an oversimplification, although I've had a couple of them in this last year. That was the issue. And, and like, can you fix it? Well, kind of. But, you know, if you just would have talked to me, I mean, so what I, I've been saying of late is offer me a cup of coffee. We'll talk. We'll yeah. talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know I'm, I'm going to critique your ideas, but at least on the technical side, I could possibly take whatever budget you have, instead of spending 65, 70% of it on fixing problems, I'm spending 60% of it on doing really cool things to help emotionally tell the story. Yeah. And you got to have to almost go through and get your knees skinned on that one, I think, really, to really grasp it. Unless, of course, you have a good DP that's got all that nailed, and that's fine. But there seems to be more troubles than there are solutions, people with solutions right now, so... Um, well, cool. Well, while we're on the technical side, then just, you know, from your perspective, what, what are the kinds of things? Let, let's say someone has a film there. Um, ideally, let's say <laughs> um, they, uh, it's gone to color and it's gone to sound. And, and uh, what's the best way to bring you the film in its digital form? Well, I mean, as far as reviewing what we're going to take on, we're usually looking at a Vimeo link that's finished. Um, okay. We occasionally see things, you know, not at their final edit, but they think it's their final edit, and we <laughs> <laughs> take a look and say, "You need to come down from two and a half hours." That kind of okay. Thing. Well, there's that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few of those. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, we're seeing things that that are that are pretty much wrapped up. However, uh, you know, as we've gone along. There are a million different ways that a film can fail to pass QC on if you're trying to get a full release on a bunch of different platforms. Mm. Everybody has different specs. And so we've we've learned to be able to watch a little more closely for uh, you know, you shot these segments of the film on this kind of 
in this in this way and they've been upresed and we're not going to be able to get that on that platform for you. So let's have a realistic expectation. Right now, I can do t- these five platforms and those 10 are out of reach for you. Oh, really? really? That kind of thing. Yeah. Now, now, you have, if I remember correctly, um, um, some very nice, um, I won't call them homework sheets, but some some guides, don't you? Um, you want to talk a little bit more about that? We have been working nonstop trying to keep up with the changes in the industry to create really useful <laughs> white papers on both, uh, you know, technical specs and delivery and also windowing and how all the different platforms work and what social media promotion works with which platform yeah. and what you need to do on release day and what you need to do two months from release day. Right. Um, these are things that we partner with and offer to take on a whole lot of for filmmakers that don't want to do it on their own, but anybody who's willing to jump in and get their hands dirty is only going to amplify the efforts. Yeah. So, and I really think that filmmakers should have this information for their next project as well yeah. uh, and know as much as they possibly can about every step of the process. Um, the challenge to that has been that every single film releases in a slightly different way based on individual criteria, you know, with a, a thousand different on-off switches that, that I could name. Wow. Um, yeah. And every time it works slightly differently, I learn something new that, that might work for someone in the future. Um, and the industry just changes so much week over week, literally week over week, uh, that, that, you know, new territories are added or other territories start to require new ratings that they didn't require two months ago. So a film that you look at in my catalog that released six months ago, if you come to me and say, I want that to happen for me, it may take a completely different set of backflips to get there. So it's no just been kidding. hard to keep that documentation up to date. Well, like, um, um, just so some specifically, what are some examples of things that have changed in the last six months to a year? Uh, in uh, the last six months to a year, let's see. Uh, a year ago, I could put a film on iTunes and it would release in Australia. Since then, Australia has uh, created new ratings laws that you have to get a localized rating. Um, they're they're very they're trying to restrict adult content, you know, uh, and and give better information to viewers. So they require an Australia rating for a film to come out, which is an expensive process. And and there are lots of territories like that around the world. And if you went. People think, oh, I'm going to put it on this platform, which reaches every territory. But many of those territories aren't going to take it if you don't have translations or localized ratings. That's fascinating. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's one example. How, how does how does one get an Austria? I mean, is that like an entirely separate process you have to pay for? Or is- yep. Yep. If I remember, we have one film that that did it recently, and I think it's in the in the thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range. I'm totally pulling it out of the air. I oh. just seem to remember them mentioning it. And you go to the local board and you send them a screener, and they they go through it, and out pops your local Australia rating. Oh wow, that's yeah. another three months to wait, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else along that line? That was just like fascinating. In the last six months to a year or so, this changed. Well, some there are always fluctuations. Um, a lot of them having to do with anything from staff turnover to adjustments in technology sure. at the various partners that we use. Uh, so you know, because there are some places you can only get through aggregators, right. others that we're direct with, um, and as their technologies change, sometimes things slow down. So. You know, let's see, last summer, I was about 12 to 14 weeks out to get a digital release date for a film once it hit my desk or our desk. Oh, that's good. Uh, It's more like 20 to 22 right now to get a date from iTunes. No. Why why do you think that is? uh, You know, I, I I would be completely speculating. It seems like 
and we have several different ways that we can get to iTunes right sure. now, but all of them seem to be very slow. Um, they just and, you think they're inundated? Is that it fundamentally, or it, it could be that? I think there's a lot of uh, you know the, with the changes in the industry, I imagine that there's a lot of pressure uh, and more and more content and how to figure out how to curate properly and filter and and process everything that's coming in. I'm mm -hmm. sure the volume just continues to increase because. Like you said, technology to make films gets cheaper and cheaper. Right. Um, and I, I, I can only assume that's what it is, or maybe it's just a crowded year for with studio content taking precedent. Um, <laughs> well, there's it, that. it could just be, you know, some kind of backlog from the holidays. I've only been in this part of the game for a couple of years, so maybe it's par for the course. But I, it's it's a long wait for a yeah. film that's got a little bit of buzz going, and I'm trying to keep something aloft from their final screening at a festival or. They haven't screened at a festival in a year. You're rebuilding all the momentum if you have to wait that long. Oh, you know that's a really, really good point. Well, so so let's say that uh, you've um, sorry, <laughs> that's okay. That you've produced your film. That uh, I mean, you've written it, you've produced it, you've edited it, you've got it. Maybe you were in the loop on it. And, um, and 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 along the way, they've built some social uh, media cred credit, uh, a, a, as well as had um, you know releases, and they've won some festival awards and things of this nature. So at that point, um, uh, what what that you can say anyway are sort of the unique differences in aiming for something like Netflix. If you go down the you know the link, Netflix, iTunes, Amazon. Um, are those, I guess, the top three? Uh, it depends on what the goal of the filmmaker is. Those are those tend to be the ones that everybody asks about right. first. Yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and iTunes is definitely curated, curated, and Netflix is curated, and also is a different window. iTunes and Amazon uh, Instant Video, they're the first things that you generally want to do. Um, if you've got any audience that, that you think will pay to watch this movie or own this movie, you want to go there first before you move to subscription services where people are paying a one-time fee to watch a whole lot of movies in a month. Oh, um, so that's known as the transactional VOD window. So that's usually where you go first, okay. um, where your distributor is going to go first. That's the first window uh, when it comes to a digital VOD release. Of course, there's theatrical and DVD and all the other things um, that can be folded in there as well. Right, um, right. But, you know, the ones that curate are looking for social media following, those awards at festivals, festivals definitely Worth still count. Worth mentioning that again, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, festivals are often thought of as markets where your film is going to get bought, but I think that filmmakers really need to be thinking of them as an opportunity to pop with the first audience that they can get in front of their film. <laughs> and that might mean you can get some reviews during that process mm -hmm. um, or get mm -hmm. some audience buzz going or, mm -hmm. you know, take pictures of, of the full house that you get, whatever it might be. You've got something that you can stick up on social media and say, we exist. I'm a film and people care about me. Uh, and the more of that that you have when you walk in the door, the more likely those those curating platforms are going to pick your film up. Right. So, um, same with Amazon, I suppose, or they will. Amazon um, Instant Video, not necessarily, but in order to get your film moved to Amazon Prime, which is a subscription service and which is really where I'm seeing a lot more action for indie films, uh, you do again want to have some buzz going mm -hmm. that 
stokes the fires, the more reviews and shares you're getting in the first week when your film goes live on Amazon Instant Video, the easier it is to get it moved to Prime. Um, there, you know, the, the algorithm needs to be paying attention to your film. Some films you can get placed on Prime right out of the gate, depending on how the package looks when oh. when Amazon sees it. But um, in overall, I think that the subscription VOD window is right now the strongest place for indie film. Uh-huh. If you've got a movie where, again, it's a, it looks like an interesting story. It's got a nice poster art and a great description, but I've never heard of these people. I'm way more likely to take a chance on that if I paid ten dollars for my Hulu subscri- eight dollars for my Hulu subscription this month than I am to pay twelve dollars or nineteen dollars on iTunes to own your movie. Oh, right? that's a good point. I'll that's take a gamble. Good. So the the trick is um, putting it out in the right order so that you know some of the platforms that are subscription are still paying per viewing and others pay, pay a flat fee and they want your movie for two years as many times as it gets watched. <laughs> When you put your film on Netflix as an indie, if you've taken a really small amount to do that, you're pretty much finished earning money on your film. So uh, a lot of the times, yeah, I mean, Netflix is often the first thing people ask us about. And they are really largely focused on on television content right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the throughput that's happening there is television content. And you don't see them making good offers on a lot of indie films anymore. Uh, the number has just decreased so much that, sure, we could get you there, but uh, we, but we want to wait right. <laughs> and and figure out if there's any other revenues anywhere else for your film before we jump there and just show it to everybody for basically for free. So it sounds like the value that you offer as a distributor is also based on writing the ways of change in the video uh, on-demand um, marketplace, the major players, and this balance between um, transaction versus subscription, and um, knowing um, if maybe intuitively anyway, working with it on a day-to-day basis, the particular curation process or nature for each one of those. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I mean, of course, we sit on an array of relationships and pipelines that we can put to use, which are not always available immediately to an independent filmmaker who's new on the scene. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, you can't just walk in and get your film on iTunes. You either pay up front yeah. or you go through a heavily curated process. Yeah. Um, and, and others like it and cable relationships. And we have some broadcast cable relationships that, yeah. um, that yeah. we can also put, bring to bear. But I mean, the first thing I'll say to anybody is no, you don't need a distributor anymore. You definitely don't need us. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. If, um, if you have the resources and you um, feel that you either are surrounded by people who will help or you yourself are a powerhouse at all the things that need to happen to have a release be successful. Go for it. Yeah. I would I would not take your movie on. Yeah. I only want to take on films that we can make bigger than they would be without us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that means, um, you know, not everybody has the wherewithal to sit and do the social media stuff and knows how to make boosted posts work and how to do targeting on an ad. Um because they they might just be filmmakers who are ready to go off and make their next movie, <laughs> uh, and not really sitting there uh, in front of the laptop day by day doing all these things, as well as press and marketing and 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 all the different encoding that you have to do to reach all the platforms. It, this is a way to be able to say, "I need a partner. Will you help me?" And we grab whatever balls um, are in the air. And in some cases, that's a filmmaker who's moved on to their next project, and we're doing everything. And in some cases, uh, you know, I kind of stay out of the way while they do what they do. And I just help to amplify their message that they've already got going um, because we have our own followership around the world as well, largely coming from our 
in our video game audience. Yeah. And sometimes that's an audience that we can help help them to reach if it's appropriate. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the shadow side of distribution then. <laughs> you know, uh, there's uh, – sounds like you're very um, on, on top of um, – Sort um, of an appropriate and thoughtful, or mindful, actually comes to the word way of the interaction with the filmmaker, and and um, you know, kind of determining where you you fit in the process to help them be most successful, which might mean just stepping aside. But there are stories of distributors that um, have often sort of. Um, uh, you know, I was going to use the word predatory, but they're sort of like, hey, somebody just wants to get it out and they get it in and then they get in this quagmire around, well, it seems like it's a whole bunch of stuff that you need to do this, but we'll take care of it for you for so much dollars to make it broadcast safe and da 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 yep. Talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, that is that is a matter of picking good people to work with and kind of seeing the whites of their eyes, yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. uh, and really – uh, developing the savvy around reading an agreement yeah, um, and what is being promised and what's being promised on the phone. Ask a lot uh, of questions. You yeah. know, ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to negotiate. Not, it, they're, they're always going to entertain any suggestions that you might have. Our deal is set up very purposefully to be filmmaker friendly. It's a little four pager contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't take all your rights. We only take the ones that we can use. Uh, if we have an opportunity to put more of them to use for you, we'll extend with a, a, an addendum on the agreement. But you keep your DVD and rights and you keep your uh, international broadcast rights and other things that we cool. can't touch. Cool. Um, and our deal is only three years. We tried to be only one year when we started out, but every platform we work with. It takes too then, long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes too long. You'd be in a paperwork nightmare all the time. And when I put your film out through various different platforms, their agreement is three years anyway. So I'm entering into that agreement mm-hmm. for three years on your behalf. So, but we tried to keep it short. Um, and, and really, you know, part of that transparency, that process of documenting all this stuff that lives in our heads about windowing and how things end up where and trying to make that as transparent as possible it is very much about demystifying it so that you're not sitting on you know, waiting for them to pick up the phone in two years and and have no information on what's happening with your release. I've heard that story and have been part of that story plenty of times. And I know it definitely happens and every deal looks different. You really have to just read the fine print. Wow. Okay. Um, so I think we're down to two last things here. Um, so Andy, thank you very much for an extremely insightful journey through this process and uh, also it was just helpful for me to to get that my intuition is right and that it's really important to be speaking to a distributor sooner than later and so how would someone get a hold of you what's the best way to get a hold of you and uh, talk further about this well, our website is uh, devolverdigital.com and there's um, there's two sides of the website one is video games and one is film. Um, you can you can check out our current catalog there as well, um, and of course we're Devolver Flicks on Twitter. Um, right now we've been in a place where we've been very focused on video game related films. Mm-hmm. Um, reason being that um, one of the reasons that we went into business 
um, was knowing that several video games first platforms um, were going to increase their offerings to, to include film in the years ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first first one of those that did that uh, went live in October, um, and it's GOG.com. It was formerly known as Good Old Games. And they are, you know, the, the way that iTunes works for us for movies is, is, is how it basically works for, for distributing games. And they've right. decided to put in some film content. It's not exclusively video game related titles, but they're that kind of led us to a wave of really good game related titles that are out right now and us being a pretty logical place for those to be given our built in audience. Right. So that's really where our focus has been for the last little while. But we have um, you know, we have a great spate of films coming out right now, including a documentary about Beatles tribute bands and Oh <laughs> that sounds exciting. What else? Yeah. Oh it's great. Uh it's called Come Together. Um, <laughs> of course. And- <laughs> And our Valentine's Day release uh, is hitting LA theater this weekend. It's called "The Worst Year of My Life." It's a it's a romance story, Aww. sort of. <laughs> we we never wanted to just focus on game related titles Good. or genre yeah. stuff. And people told us early on, you need to just do horror films and gamer stuff. Um, and we uh, didn't want to do that because we're just we're film fans all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This is great. I really can't say enough about getting this kind of information out to filmmakers so they can make the best movies possible special thanks to our guest andy grace if you have any questions about this podcast or have any ideas for topics on color please email me at tom at tomparish.com color talk is in itunes so be sure to subscribe and get your latest show there or i'll tell you a secret i post in soundcloud first Hint, hint. Many thanks to Ginny Meadows at mycopyeditor.com for the faithful and kind and accurate copy editing. To Sinise Sebastian for the amazing use of 100% organic, gluten-free SEO tags to help make TomParish.com more visible in the search engines. And finally, Paul Cox, my C-level support person, CSAO, Chief Smart Ass Officer, and longtime friend. Until next time, ABC, always be learning. 